You're listening to Cross Defense here on Worldwide KFUO. Back and more beautiful than ever. Coming live to you for the first time. And uh, I got to say, Pastor Fisk here, I'm a little bit nervous because we're used to doing this for you. Well, pre-recorded and well ahead of schedule. Now we're going to we're gonna take it to the airwaves without really knowing what we're doing. But we are founding it upon ancient Christian teaching brought to us by the dogmatics of Dr. Francis Pieper, just like we've been doing all along. And my guest today to help me do this, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor Sean Danzer, both gentlemen who I know you know as good voices here on Worldwide KFUO Radio. We're going to be making sure that when God speaks, we speak back what he has said. Let our worldviews be demolished and rebuilt on the mighty fortress of his word, watching our life and doctrine closely. Now, here's the real the real test, since we're doing this all via Skype. Gentlemen, can you hear me? Can indeed. Oh, man, I just breathed deep. <laughs> I wasn't so sure there was a pause that I was ready to die. Now, the one thing I didn't do was get Dr. Peeper. Oh, no. Out of my bag. As I drop everything there, this is radio at its best. You'd think I'd never done this before. Uh, gentlemen, it's good to hear your voices and and to, to be here again with you to discuss this. We're, one, of the, one of the things we're doing is we're, we got the new music. You'll hear that on the promos and whatnot. And you also have... Uh, uh, we're going to mix up our grouping. So in the past, Pastor Wolfmuller and Pastor Flammy had always been together. Pastor Reese had been with another one of the brothers from up there in North Dakota. And what we're letting the guys do now is kind of mix and match and uh, see how they play off each other. So I'm curious to see what you two guys can do. Do you guys know each other? Oh, yeah. yeah we've met before. All right. So it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too bad. And uh, any thoughts about uh, the context or, or what we've been talking about? We spent a lot of time on the word of God so far, and we're not going to be doing anything different today. You know, what do you say now? I mean, we're going to throw a curveball by being live. What do you say to somebody who says, man, cross offense, it comes on at two every Monday and they just keep talking about the same thing over and over again from a different direction. What are your thoughts about that? Well, there's not much else to talk about in uh, when it comes to theology than the Lord's Word. And what Francis Pieper has given us here uh, is is really he's he's making an argument um, for the Word of God against all the things that would stand against it. So in the particular pages that we're looking at today, he, he's arguing for the absoluteness of the Christian religion. And one of the ways the absoluteness of the Christian religion is undercut is by a liberal reading of the Bible. So he's going to, not only is he going to assert the positive things, but he's going to defend the negative things. And so here he's defending the assertion that the church, um, uh, that Christianity, I should say, is, um, is an absolute thing, is something that's sturdy, that we can, that we can build our uh, faith on. And this is important because, you know, like Jesus says, when he compares the two homes, the one built on sand and the other built on stone, uh, the house that's built on sand, it doesn't matter how nice it looks. If it's built on the sand, when the rain comes, it will collapse. So what we build our faith on, what we build our confidence on, what we establish our, our doctrine on is is fantastically important. And if we cannot be sure of the foundation, which is the scriptures itself, then all the other building we do on top of that will in the end be in vain. Pastor Danzer? Yeah, Dr. Pieper has to respond against the moderns in his time, and, and they're attacking this foundation of the scriptures. Uh, I think in our day, maybe that attack is done, or, or they think they've won, so that attack is maybe backed off. What's interesting is, while Dr. Pieper's arguing so, so strongly that what the center of our religion, the reason it's so reliable, and the reason it's worth considering, and, and he would say it is true, is because it has these reliable scriptures and that's its foundation from start to finish. 
the ironic thing is I think today people are much more willing to base their beliefs on all sorts of fleeting passing ideas and opinions, even just something they kind of half-baked on their own. And uh, I, I don't think that makes people irrelevant to our day. In a sense, I think it makes it almost uh, just as strong, except his arguments are um, – well, his arguments for Christianity as having a solid scripture is also going to be what we're going to take to say, well, have you considered that perhaps your view needs something more solid? And uh, and we're going to show why Christianity has that. Now, one of the things I really want to try to have us do, and maybe this is a good idea, maybe it's bad, but since we have the time and the space to do it, and since we can, honestly, live radio is, is a little more free, and I think that's a good thing. It's part of why I suggested making this change. I want to try to pull some of the ethereal out of the ethereal and down into the, the what we see and what we do. So, as you just said, Pastor Danzer, we see a lot of things in the present age that are similar but different. So can, can you name some of those? Because Dr. Pieper's going to talk in a moment about historical criticism. And while that is still a reality out there in the world, it's hardly what you're going to find at the local church in the pulpit. Whereas in the 60s and 70s or even back in, in Peeper's Day, you might have found that. So can we try to like nail this down? And this is for either of you guys, but Pastor Dan's your first shot. Nail this down. Uh, do you mean like where would we find yeah. the kind of thing Peeper's talking yeah, about? Yeah, we, we don't have to necessarily name names per se, but um, I mean, if we have to, we have to. Yeah, I think you'd find it most on the History Channel. I think uh, everybody knows around Easter time and Christmas time, all sorts of shows come up about Jesus. And they're usually um, uh, scandalous shows or, um, well, actually shows, right? <laughs> so they come on and say, you've always heard that Jesus rose from the dead or whatever. And uh, well, here you go. We're going to show you all this proof that says it was a big hoax or he was married to somebody or he's just, based, you know, that's where I think that's the place where these um old arguments I, I don't know if this is something they don't realize that they're almost presenting his what is a past history that um these kind of really modern we're going to prove scientifically and uh legally uh like in a court of law how christianity is just false or wrong uh and that's a very almost old idea now but uh the history channels maybe the place where you can find it other than that i, I I'm not sure this is in vogue anymore, except with maybe the the um, what they sometimes call the new atheists, which would be I think Richard Dawkins is maybe the name that's most familiar, and they're very strong in trying to discredit Christianity, and and they'll take historical bases, or um, I mean certainly to try and say well the scriptures are not reliable. Well, I'm a lot further yep. out of out of college than I'd like to remember being, but but I seem to get the feeling that in college I ran into plenty of people who were willing to say to me, you know, the Bible's a book that was written by monks in the Middle Ages, and everybody knows this now. So I, I feel like these ideas are still out there. This is this is an assertion made by guys in the as you said the, the 1870s. Oh, of course we're going to figure this out when we get all the research, and then the research hasn't all panned out. So you got that on the one hand, on the other hand, I'm reminded of what uh, Dr. Luther says in his small cult articles about that there's only really been one heresy from the beginning, and it's did God really say? And I know that kind of, well, mysticism, Pastor Wolf Mueller, is something you address in your most recent book. It's true. It, I mean, the, the basic gist of higher criticism uh, is to reduce um, 
is to reduce the scripture below our, our own reason. But any move to put anything above the scripture is really what we call mysticism. It internalizes the scripture. So you're right. You get this stuff in college, but you get it. Uh, you, you also, oddly enough, the other place that I keep finding higher criticism is every time I talk to a Catholic priest. It's really surprising to me. Uh, every time it's surprising. I should stop being surprised. But that, that higher criticism and this view that, that the scripture comes below our reason— uh, is has infected the Catholic Church uh, almost through and through. So it's very, very hard to find a, a Catholic biblical scholar who won't talk of the JDEP, the source theory, or who won't talk of this first and second and third Isaiahs and things like this. I mean, it's all it's all over there. But the whole gist of it is that it basically um, it basically puts the scriptures uh, under our own uh, thoughts and our own reason. And this is the same move that you point out. Uh, that the devil did in the garden with Adam and Eve when he comes and says, did God really say? And causes that doubt of the Lord's word uh, to rule in the in the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve. And now, uh, since we are the children of Adam and Eve, that doubt of God's word rules in our own minds as well. It's always there in the background tempting us. That reminds me of a story. I think I've told it on this show before, but it's, it's worth telling again of a time near the end of my seminary experience where I sat down with an old friend of my wife's. This was a girl who had grown up in a Lutheran church. She was going to be marrying somebody who will just leave it kind of open, but but was not a Lutheran. And she wanted to understand, you know, why we held to a certain view and and why this other group didn't. And, and she's already kind of committed to becoming one of this other group. I mean, she's pretty much on the way. And we sat down, we had a, a good conversation. She gave me a good 10 minutes to like, show. well, here the Bible says this, the Bible says this, here's this, this, this. I kind of I laid it out gently and it was a good conversation again. And at the end of it, she kind of looked at me and she said, well, that's the thing is you got your verses and, and we have our verses. And to me, that's that's historical criticism too. It's this idea that that the Bible's got holes in it, and the real truth is somewhere behind those holes. And I wanted to yell at her, you know, years later as I realized, no, oh, we got all the verses. What are you talking about? At the, at the moment, I was I was kind of stunned by it and didn't really know what to say. And of course, I wouldn't want to yell at her. But it was it, I. So I I think we find this even if it isn't. J-E-D-P, which, uh, listener beware, you need not know this unless some idiot talks to you about it. Even if it isn't that, it's out there that we are going to to poke at this scripture and not trust it. And, and what Dr. Peeper gets at with this first sentence that we're picking up at page 37 in volume one, and I, I just want to talk about this one sentence, uh, which is, I guess, I guess it is two sentences here, but he says, the science of criticism is constantly advancing new theories. In 25 years, possibly sooner, it may invalidate its present-day findings as to what constitutes the essentials of Christian religion, having then found that much more will have to be deleted. What he's getting at here is that it's, we're so busy finding ways to not believe the scriptures that none of what we put in its place actually lasts. But eventually, we have to throw that away as well. And that's just kind of a, it's a stunning idea. There's a quote by Harnack that we'll, we'll maybe look at after this, but I think we could, we could riff on that for a long time. Either of you. I, I really like how, I think Pieper is just speaking generally about what the scientific endeavor is. 
And I think this is, unfortunately, I think in our day, we have to remember that this is what science is. When we're not talking about trying to use scientific methods to understand the Bible, but just what is science? Science is always advancing news theories. It is always invalidating things that it's found or assumed or hypothesized before. Because new evidence comes to light, it suggests that maybe that theory is is still good in some ways, but in other ways it's deficient. And, and a competing theory comes along, it takes a long time just because of tradition and uh, general inertia to take hold. But eventually it may unseat the old thing. And all of those things, if you were to take them as truth, not as scientific theory, if you were to take them as God-given truth or something, then suddenly you'd find all that truth was false. And, and unfortunately that kind of purely scientific worldview, I think, leads to a lot of disillusionment because you necessarily have to go through a place where all the things you thought were right might be proven wrong after a while. And I don't know if humans are actually able to handle that all the time. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> what what Pastor Denzer is saying and picking up on the brilliance of people that, I mean, once you become, um, once you become uh, unanchored from the absolute, and, that, and that's what Pieper's arguing here. The, the absoluteness of the Christian religion is that God says something. And that the fact that God says it means that it's true. Once that is undone, then you are simply adrift. If you, if you are not anchored, I mean, this is a, for a boat. If, it's, if the anchor's lifted up and you're just, you know, you're tossed to and fro by the sea. And, and Pieper's able to see that, that even though science uh, claims to be trying to, to dig down to the truth of a thing, uh, the very nature of it is that it's unanchored from anything absolute. And so it, it's always going to be a shifting target. It's always going to be moving around. It's never going to be the same. It's going to change. And it's funny how Pieper is pretty specific. In 25 years or so, you know, he says this, <laughs> right. this, this lasts just for half a generation. And then a new theory comes along that suits the, the winds and, and waves of the times better, and people go for that. I don't follow, as much as I probably should, I don't follow the creation-evolution debate in the narrows. I, I pick up pieces here and there from others who are, who are busy doing that. But one thing that I have noticed again and again is how much the, the evolutionary science has to change its game a little bit. It keeps adding things or removing things or kind of twisting what it says or changing what it says. And one of the big examples of this is if you look at the number of years that was postulated by Darwin as to how long it would, it would you know, the, the earth has been around, that just keeps getting longer. Down to our present day, it's not stable now either. It just keeps getting longer and longer and longer because the math gets so hard to do on all of the, uh, what is it, the um, irreconcilable, no, uh, shoot, it's irreconcilable um, uh, numbers. I can't think of it now. There's a, there's a term for it. But the number of things that happen to happen at Oh, irreducible complexity. There it is. The irreducible complexity, number of things that have to happen at one time to, say, have an eyeball work or have a feather work. And, and when, we, when we look at this, these all have to be a, a massive number of mutations in one per, one person or one event or one new you know part of a species that would then be, have to be able to still be able to breed with the rest of the species and pass those traits on. So when you do the math on that, it's, it's beyond the number of uh, days and, and times and years that we have available to us. So they just keep extending all of this. That's maybe a very poor example, but just one example of it's always changing. It's always shifting. And the postulation of Scripture is that I'm always shifting too, but this this sign of Jonah, this death and resurrection of Jesus, it's it's firm and solid. But this is, I guess, and I don't know if we want to go here, maybe on the other side of the break, uh, this is one of those places where 
when I think back to the guys who would tell me or the girls who would tell me in college that you can't trust the scriptures because a bunch of monks wrote it in the Middle Ages. Again, that's a laughable assertion, but I didn't know any better. When I think back to that, one of the other things that they would talk about would be how you can't really know even who Jesus was or that he was even a real person. I, I still remember having a discussion. This was in seminary. I used to work at a wine bar, and, I, and the guy was telling me Jesus didn't even exist. And hmm. it, it'd be, what, huh? It, it, there's a there's a history that we have as Christians that we maybe are unaware of that that is uh, this word is more solid than that. It can actually prove some of these claims of again quote scientists wrong. Now that's not much to throw at you, but uh, closing thoughts. We'll get back to the text on the other side of the break. Closing thoughts from each of you. I don't know if science deals in truth. Uh, uh, the reason Christianity is going to say we have truth and and what a dirty word absolute truth absolute religion is that it's not based on scientific observations and then human interpretation and suggestions. It's it's a revelation. It's been given to us, and, and it's simply ours to treasure and confess and hold. I don't think science deals with that. Science deals with very likely probabilities, and, uh, and the more information they get, sometimes those very likely probabilities, they have to change entirely because this seems much more probable. Your proper science comes from the Lord's own institution when he said to Adam and Eve, have dominion over the earth, but he has not given us dominion over himself or over his word. So anything, even right science, uh, is not rightly exercised on God and his truth. That's flipping the order of things. And the result is always going to be putting ourselves in the place of God and earning his own um, judgment by doing so. So this is a, a very dangerous theological move that Peeper does well to warn us about. We'll be right back on the other side of this break. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And it's even more critical when it comes to the history of God's redeeming grace in Christ. That's the conviction of Concordia Historical Institute, the Department of Archives and History of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For almost 90 years, we've been dedicated to collecting, cataloging, and showcasing the historical touchstones of Christ's grace and mercy in the life of the Lutheran Church. Help us in the fight against historical amnesia by becoming a member of CHI today. Benefits of CHI membership include our quarterly journal, newsletter, and discounts when you use CHI's research and reference services. You also receive the joy of knowing you're doing your part in preserving and proclaiming Lutheran history for generations to come. Moving Lutheran history forward together. Check us out at ConcordiaHistoricalInstitute.org. ConcordiaHistoricalInstitute.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program, the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, Central Time. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on KFUO.
Welcome back to Cross Defense. Doing our best to get the dogma of Christianity out to you, the absolute truth, the unchangeable reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. Talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and Pastor Sean Danzer about, well, the, the ancient repeated question, did Jesus say, and the more recently but kind of ancient now repeated way of attacking it called historical criticism, which is that the Bible is not really trustworthy, moving our way into what what are we doing with it in the present and seeing some of this historical criticism in the the news media, you get it from uh, like on a Newsweek or a Time cover right about Easter time, all the way down to the way that kind of the average Christian has been encouraged to question whether or not the Bible is as trustworthy as they maybe were taught as children. We also dealing with here then, uh, Dr. Pieper says that uh, this this only puts in place shifting sand. And he quotes for us Adolf Harnack, a name you don't necessarily need to know, but he was pretty well known back in the day. Uh, and, and he has a quote in which he himself says, as he promotes historical criticism, that it's all going to fall apart eventually. And so there's a bit of an irony in this <laughs> quote. He says, I imagine that a few hundred years hence, there will be found to exist in the intellectual ideas which we shall have left behind us, much that is contradictory. People will wonder how we put up with it. They will find much to be hard and dry husks in what we took for the kernel. They will be unable to understand how we could be so short-sighted and fail to get a sound of uh, a sound grasp of what was essential and separate it from the rest. And that reminds me of another story uh, as a young pastor out there in the in the the boondocks, where. I met with another gentleman who was a pastor in the Missouri Synod and was a son of Samanex, a son of historical criticism. And and we it was actually before a circuit meeting, and he opened this up to me. He just confessed it to me right away, which kind of surprised me. I, I thought he would have known, being coming out of our seminaries now, I wouldn't have really agreed with him. But he, he, he wanted to say to me, and very clearly I remember this, that not believing in Jonah as a real human being that he really went into the fish and came out again, that it didn't ever affect his personal faith at all. And I was just kind of young and, and just kind of looked at him and was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I, I, I think I disagree, but I'm not going to fight with you. I just met you. And then I remember the same guy after we had the circuit at, at my congregation, and I preached on, I don't know what text, but I basically preached on the death and resurrection of Jesus. He came up to me and he said to me afterwards, man, death and resurrection of Jesus, I should preach on that more often. And it just blew my mind, right? And so it, did, did the story make sense? You know, didn't affect your faith? I think it did. I think the sign of Jonah might have been important. Hmm. Hmm. No, that's exactly right. I mean, this is it's a corrosive thing. Um, so that it always starts at a small point. You know, there's some, I mean, the, the scripture, the very nature of the scriptures are that because it's God's word to us sinners, it's going to make us uncomfortable at points. I mean, if the scriptures were just God reinforcing everything that we wanted to hear in the first place, then he wouldn't have needed to write anything down. So the very nature of the fact that God is talking to us means that we're going to hear something in the scriptures that we don't like. But but now, so we hear something we don't like, but whatever our philosophy of the Bible has led us uh, to be able to stand in, uh, you know, stand over that and make it not have an authority over us, but rather we have authority over it. And so it'll start with something small, you know, maybe the fact that cre God says that he created the world or maybe Jonah, you know, that's a that's a, a fable and not a historical account or, you know, whatever is the small th sort of things. Maybe uh, what Paul says about women being pastors, that seems to be like another one of the first small steps where this happens. And and, and we think that it doesn't um, that it doesn't affect our faith. But eventually the main thing that the Bible is going to come to each one of us and tell us is that we're sinners. 
And if we've stopped listening to the things that the Bible says that we don't want to hear, then we're not going to listen to that. And if we can't hear that we are sinners, then we are not going to be able to hear that Christ died for us. So the reason the devil is doing this is undercutting the scriptures in the small points is so that he can eventually undercut it in the big point and cut us off from the Lord's saving work and promises. I like your story. Uh, where where does this guy think his faith comes from? I, I mean, or anyone like him, I think. It, it certainly doesn't come from outside of him, really. That's why it wouldn't be affected if, if the external things like history of this world, what happened in the past, uh, wasn't the way, you know, one book or another said it. Because the, the idea is that faith really comes from within. And uh, and that's maybe part of it. That, I mean, that's the attack of the devil from the beginning. And I do think that's the part that remains even once maybe, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but uh, it seems like our world is just not as interested in having the fight about Jonah anymore or history, maybe because we just don't care about history much. But, uh, man, I remember, here's my story from college. I remember very vividly getting pulled into my professor's office with one of my classmates, uh, good friends, I thought, and, and then it turned out it was them on one side of the table and me on the other. And I didn't realize this, I think, till we were halfway through the discussion, that they were, they were trying to talk to me. And, and it was about heaven and hell, right? And, and how can God really send people to hell? And, uh, and in the end, you know, I, I, I tried to say, well, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Uh, here's the things, you know, that are in the Bible. It wasn't prepared for us. Uh, no one ought to go to hell, etc. cetera. Uh, and in the end, what they wanted to talk about was, well, I have a dog and he's bad. And I kick him maybe, but uh, I can never really hate him. I would never actually kill him. I can't go through with it. And I know God's going to be like that, too. Now, what have you based that faith on? That's not based on anything that's been revealed to you. It's not even based on evidence other than your own experience. And it's simply, it's literally creating God the way you want it. So so like Pastor Wolfmuller said, certainly there are people who want to put science and kind of observation and this kind of reason over top of the scriptures. There's also the subtler but maybe more popular today way of putting our I don't know if it's just our emotions or our general opinions, these half-baked ideas and feelings and inklings that we can also put way over the scriptures. And man, that just destroys the whole possibility of having, I I think it's more troubling because what's your foundation? It's not even the shifting sands of people's best uh, interpretations of the world, like a scientific theory. Now it's just people's gut feelings at any moment. And uh, that's already been an older accusation against Christianity, that it's really just people's wishful thinking. In our day, I think we might be setting the ground for that to be an accusation that's true against us. Uh, that's a weird, that's a, yeah, <laughs> it's the truth. It's a weird phenomenon that as bad as rationalism and the Enlightenment were for Christianity, with things like historical criticism, is just full frontal barrage attacks. The subtleness of the emotional mysticism and it's not not that we're against emotions but it's against maybe i should say experiential kind of will-powered mysticism the subtleness of it is as being able to pretend to be christianity it just seems to be more diabolical to me it's it's more it's more slippery and maybe this this is even important as you pointed out you know speaking of things people want to pull out of the scriptures and not have be there mentioning hell and the great 
strength with which evangelicalism was assaulted by this and, and probably has fallen to it. I don't follow it again that closely, but I know there was a massively popular set of books uh, a while back by a gentleman named uh, Pastor Bell uh, that was all about how hell doesn't really exist. And then there was a Another very popular book called The Shack, uh, which kind of had a way of salvation that was, it wasn't, if it wasn't universalist straight up, it was on the way to being, everybody kind of gets out of this thing eventually. And so whether or not they're sitting there and they're saying, look, uh, you know, this, uh, this text of Matthew never really existed, right? They, they may not be getting down in the dirt like that. But the pieces of Scripture or the loki of theology, the places of our theology, they, they are being stripped away. Yeah, you're, I think what if I'm hearing what you're right, I, I would agree totally. Is that, you know, rationalism at least could be critiqued, but what we have now to rule over the scripture is our own opinion. I mean, if there's no true, every everything is opinion or feeling or whatever sort of inner life we have, and 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 it and it becomes uncriticizable. You know, I don't I don't like a piece of scripture, so it must not be true, because why should that old, you know, dead guy's opinion be more important than my living opinion about something? And our own opinions are ruling. So we look at the scripture and we say old opinions, you know, and the opinions of bigoted sexist men or whatever. And then we look at our own opinion. We say we're, we're obviously the inheritors of this great enlightened culture, so our own opinions must be better. And those, and now our opinions and our feelings are ruling over the scripture, and we're in a worse spot because now it's just a question of power. I mean, what what gives one person's opinion uh, uh, to rule over another person's opinion if they contradict one another? Well, it's who has the most power in that relationship. The idea That's the, two people on one side of the table versus one. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, which was to was hotboxy and will you down. The idea that we're neutral parties in this thing is is quite stunning. You know, I got another story for you. My wife was the one who convinced me that this that I should take seriously what the scriptures say about man and woman in Christ and and particularly women being pastors, although the rest of the the dominoes fell eventually once I let that one be real. And the way that this happened it, it was that I had concocted in my head this way of making the scriptures. I'm having someone smile at me through the window and try to make me laugh. It's not fair. I'm having some... Um, uh, the way I had concocted for getting around the scriptures was to try to hold them up and get around them at the exact same time. And the way I did that was by saying, St. Paul was still inspired, and we're supposed to have the scriptures he wrote, but only in order to show us how we have to be careful because we can be trapped by our culture's opinions, just as he was about women, obviously. And we're supposed to learn that. And my wife just turned it right on my head, right on his head to me. And she said, well, aren't you just saying that because you are? And I went, whoa. <laughs> whoa. That's right. Yeah. It, it is the culture that is pushing you to want women to be pastors. It's a, I, 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 since we're telling stories, we got time for a story here? Oh, Absolutely. I was uh, I was sitting there and I was having lunch with uh, Father Bert, who's in heaven now. He was an Episcopalian uh, priest who was removed from office because he preached that homosexuality was a sin. And I was having lunch with him and my dad, and we were sitting there, and I was in my collar. Father Bert was in his collar, and a guy came over and says, what are you guys? And Father Bert says, well, I used to be an Episcopalian priest. Now I'm a Lutheran layman. And, and I said, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And and he says, why, why did you stop this guy who came up? Why did you stop being a priest? And Father Bert told him, and and this guy said, oh, well, I'm the kind of priest that you wouldn't like. I, you know, I'm, uh, he, it turned out that this guy was a, a bishop in the Episcopalian church. And, uh, and he says, and you know, I, I, I can't see how you guys can be so strict about all this sexual ethics. I mean, it's obvious uh, to, to, to the whole church now that the Bible, that the Holy Spirit speaks through culture. 
Hmm. Uh, and that the culture has told us the truth of uh, liberated sexuality and so forth. I couldn't believe it. This guy, right in the middle of lunch. So, so I said to him, I said, well, how do you know what culture the Holy Spirit is speaking through? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I was just in Africa uh, visiting the seminary there. Hmm. And in Africa, they understand that marriage is a man and a woman and that two men should not be married to one another. Uh, and, and so obviously the Holy Spirit uh, isn't speaking through that culture, or is it just that you're a racist and <laughs> you think the Holy Spirit speaks only through white liberal culture? That's hilarious. It, but and the guy, go ahead, the guy go ahead. sat down. <laughs> did, you, did he follow up or was he just mad at you? No, no, he couldn't have. I mean, what can you say to that sort of thing? He just went and kind of shook his head and sat down because it's true. There's a there's kind of this cultural elitism yeah. because what you're doing is manipulating the scripture to say whatever it is that you want to say. And it's nice if you're if you are, you know, in the driving in the driver's seat of the culture that the Holy Spirit is speaking through your culture. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's bad for everyone else who's trying to, to you know, who's being uh, destroyed by your culture and, and have their lives, uh, you know, come into nothing because of your cultural dominance. It's just an absolute disaster anytime you step down this path. It's a weird kind of manifest destiny that, that was in what he was saying, too. And, and we really kind of all are heirs to this idea that somehow we're above both the past and those poor, you know, uh, what, what do we call them? Uh, less, the third world country uh, savages, right? Uh, forget skin color, but, you know, they just their culture just needs to be brought up to par with ours. Pastor Danzer, a few more minutes before we go to break. Hmm. I, it, it, for me, it always goes, I, I don't know if this is a wrong way to approach it because I think it's a thought experiment. And, and I think most of these interesting things we're doing are just that, they're thought experiments. Um, unfortunately, then when you make them a religion, that's a very that's the shaky, sandy foundation of our own uh, flickering opinions all the time. But if you're going to want to have a religion, if 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 there is a God and He's going to somehow like I don't know if He has expectations on you, isn't He going to reveal those to you? Uh, where does your religion and its beliefs come from? Uh, Maybe this is something that ties into present-day uh, questions about religious liberty, but something the government, I think, rightly ought to be concerned with is that some guy doesn't come up with his own religion and, and then say, well, you got to let me do what I want to do. That's, that's pretty harmful to a society, I think. Christianity, what Pieper's trying to say is, yes, our religion is not like that. It's not made up on a whim. And the reason is, you know, it, you may think this is preposterous, but we think God talked to us and God said, here's, here's how it is. Uh, that makes sense to me as a, as a foundation for a religion, if you're going to have one. Uh, it, where it's very funny that, uh, that in our day we're almost more impressed with just, you know, well, isn't it obvious we're going to do this way because that's what's popular? Uh, that's, I don't know how that counts as a religion, you know? Yeah, I had a feeling, and therefore it's true. I mean, how is that any kind of foundation for the future? We'll be right back. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast two worship services each and every Sunday morning. The early broadcast begins at 8.15 at Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis Hills, where Reverend Matt Clark presides. The live late broadcast originates at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri, where Pastor Mark Sell preaches the gospel. That broadcast begins at 10.30. The message of mercy and forgiveness through Christ 
is in our worship broadcasts Sunday morning on Worldwide KFUO. Of the founders, Benjamin Franklin was the only one to sign all three major documents establishing the United States as an independent nation, the Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Paris, and the United States Constitution. A prolific inventor of the Franklin stove, bifocal lenses, and more. The author of Poor Richard's Almanac in 1732, read by thousands of people in its 25-year history. Franklin was also an avid student of the Bible. His Constitutional Convention address on June 28, 1787, contains many references to the Bible, including Genesis and Psalms. We have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Across the fence, going live on Monday afternoons, looking at the dogma of Scripture as confessed ahead of us by Dr. Francis Pieper. I got Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and Pastor Sean Danzer here with me today. We're picking up on page 38 of Dr. Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. And I'm going to go ahead and read a little more text for us, gentlemen, if that's all right. It, nope, actually, we're picking up the bottom of page 37, but just two words there. He says, by their rejection of the inspiration of Scripture, and here he means anybody who does this, they have surrendered its infallible divine authority. That means they really don't have any right to speak anymore. And as a result, they are laboring under a delusion when they imagine that one can assume a critical attitude towards Scripture and at the same time maintain the absoluteness of the Christian religion. So it's one thing to be able to say, I don't understand that passage. I'm struggling with that passage. Even go ahead and say, I don't like that passage. That's a different thing to say that that isn't God's passage. Thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, that's absolutely right. Now, what I wonder about is I think that people have given up this argument uh, that, you know, so you have a critical attitude towards Scripture and maintain the absoluteness of the Christian religion. I think the, the thing that we face nowadays is that people take a critical attitude towards Scripture in order to undermine the absoluteness of the Christian religion. Uh, in other words, the, the, the truth of what Pieper is saying is, has become so clear that people are kind of working the other way around. There were there were the old classic liberals who wanted to be who wanted to say that Christianity should be the universal religion. They still practiced in some way or another a form of evangelism. They wanted people to join their church, uh, and and so forth. And they wanted the whole world to be Christian. But they they were liberals when it came to the scripture. But that but the gig is pretty much up. And now the great argument of the secular world is the argument of tolerance, that is, that everything is right, <laughs> and that is um, undergirded by a liberal reading of Scripture, by a critical reading of the Scripture, by, by a reading of Scripture that says that maybe the Bible contains God's Word, I don't know, but it's mostly man's Word, and it does contain errors and so forth. I wish I could remember where I read or heard this, but somebody, golly, someone somewhere pointed out, I think I read it, that what we're seeing in the collapse of American Christendom and the collapse of Western democracy, well, Western, Western virtue-based and, you know, under God democracy, is not the failure of mainline Protestantism. It's the success of mainline Protestantism. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, everybody— I mean, how can, Go ahead. You start walking down that road and it ends in universalism. 
I mean, you know, if you if you deny Adam and Eve, and you deny sin, you deny the article of creation, you eventually deny the incarnation. You die the, uh, and and the only thing you can say about God is that he's hopefully a nice guy. I mean, you, you can't say anything specific. And who's going to so come that, sit in your pew to hear you say that? I mean, what, right. at what point do we even need to gather, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so Peeper wasn't trying to make a, well, uh, he was trying to make a prophecy, I guess, in order to say don't go down this road. Instead, he's just flat out right. <laughs> yeah, and then you got to tell everyone to bring their gardening gloves to church so you'll be out in front, you know, planting tulips. That's all you can do. Right, right. That's all you could do. We won't have the word. Well, see, here's a way that this kind of has worked itself out. I've seen churches, and these aren't, these aren't big mainland historical critical churches, but it, we're not going to even have word or preaching or song this week, we're going to go do service acts. We're going to go wash cars for the neighborhood. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. And the crazy thing is, it's like they hopped over the argument and landed in the same end zone. You know? Uh, they, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Yeah, because if you don't have theology, you either have ethics or philosophy. Uh, both, and and but neither one of those can save. But that's the best you can do. That's the best you can do without the name of Jesus. So if you don't have the name of Jesus, if you don't have the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, then the best you can do is some sort of philosophy or some sort of ethics. Now I'd love for um, both of you to, to, to unpack those two words because I think what you just said there is maybe the best thing that's been said this whole show. If you don't have theology, you have either ethics or philosophy. Each of you take a turn. What what on earth does that mean? It's great. Do I have to? I better do it first since I said it. But so philosophy <laughs> would be simply um, a pursuit of wisdom uh, on our own on man's own terms. So f uh, philosophy. It means the love of wisdom, and it's and it's the effort to um, achieve something true, uh, at least in secular uh, terms, by by our own mental efforts. Uh, but again, it it does not take into account the revelation of God's will. So, according to philosophy, we can know that there is a God and that things are good and beautiful and true. But you cannot know that God is incarnate and dead on the cross for you. You cannot know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you don't know that, if all you know from nature is that God is good big and mad, then uh, the only thing you can conclude is that we better try to be good so that we don't get on his bad side, the opinion of the law, and that's ethics. So you so you look at even things that claim to be religions, like Judaism or, or Islam, and you realize that they don't really say anything about God. I mean, they might say one thing, like God is or God is one or something, but whenever you dig into their supposed theology, it's not actually talking about the theos, it's talking about man and saying, you ought to live this way. You know, here here's what here's what you your life should look like, and that's and that's morality and ethics. It's not what God is, who God is, and what He's done. That's the proper study of theology. Pastor, Pastor Danzer, I'm going to say it again. It like? Go, I'm going to say it again for you, just so you have it. Without theology, you have only ethics or philosophy. What does that mean? Ethics or philosophy. What's been taken out of it? It has isn't words. Uh, it isn't actions. It's it's God that's been taken out, uh, and I don't know. To ask the question, what would it look like to have churches without God? The French Revolution tried that. They changed the churches into these places of wisdom, right? Uh, the the palaces and temples of reason. And uh, it, it was a combination of debauchery and, uh, I guess, the best scientific work of the day. Uh, I don't know if that covers the philosophical side of it. Um but but it's interesting in our day that we 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 don't see people just trying to be horrible. We I mean, humanism, 
has, is, is something that takes off in the absence of theology, in the absence of words from God that are authoritative. Humanism still thrives. I don't know if that's, you know, maybe in the earlier days, that was really trying to deify man. Uh, to, in our day, maybe we're, we're a little less more depressed and not as optimistic because we've had the 20th century. Uh, so it's, you know, pay it forward or whatever programs we can come up with to try and, you know, well, we'll do the best we can. And uh, maybe that's killing people off so they don't have to suffer. Or maybe it's, you know, let's plant a community garden. Uh, but, but these are the religious actions of the day. I, you call it, you said you said a lot of good things there actually. And first, I just want to reemphasize. So what you just did was you put it in layman's terms. So without theology, you have only ethics or philosophy. Without God, you have only deeds or words. And and that's all we got left. I mean, what I think that's that's spot on. Uh, when you say you know you don't know if we're optimistic today, I listen to a lot of uh, can we call it entrepreneurial leadership podcasts. It's a, a hobby of mine, and I'm always amazed at how spiritual these guys will get and and how much of the can i call it even a gnostic understanding of mankind is kind of embedded in a lot of their assumptions one of my favorite guys is a guy who's a stoic because at least with him i can kind of agree on the futility of what we see but there's these others who are who are really painting a picture that somehow mankind is is about to sort of transcend humanity itself and it may not be through a a spiritual enlightenment it's going to be through some sort of uh, unification with machines or, or something like that but there's there's still a lot of it going on it's the colors may be changed but the structure stays the same yeah we have i mean one of our idols of our time perhaps the one of the main idols of our time is technology and if your idol is technology you have room for optimism because technology keeps getting better and better and better and better so humanism has the idol of humanity and that is a very pessimistic view <laughs> but if you can if you can change over to worshiping technology then you then there's room for the idea of um of a utopia still left but it's all you know every idol in the end demands human sacrifice and and destroys not only us but also itself, and, and technology will do the same in one way or another. Uh, who knows if we'll be alive to witness that uh, the fall of that particular idol? But, but I think when the world looks back on us, if Jesus delays for a while, this kind of unfettered opti uh, uh, um, optimism regarding the advancing technology is going to be one of the marks of our own age. But with just a few minutes left here, I'm going to read the last part of the section where he says, "Making religious experience." The source, and we, I, you just got to say that as mysticism, making mysticism the source of the Christian religion instead of Holy Scripture, the divine fountain, removes the Christian religion into the domain of the subjective human opinion, right? So it all just becomes a matter of what we, what we think we think or what we want to think. And in place of the absolute Christian religion, there are uncounted divergencies of religion's opinions. And I don't think it's accidental that the further west you go in the United States, the more religions are started. So that you get to this place called California— where there are more unique religions started by individuals in that place than, than in the the rest of the world over, at least in India. They kind of kept them all as one religion still. And, and you know, we just kind of broke and broke and broke and broke and broke. And yet it prepared us for this 
Hindu idea that all religions are one, and we're almost swinging back the other direction. So that when I go around wherever I've been in the United States, including in the small towns of North Dakota, there are almost as many yoga studios as there are churches. You know, it's it's it's, it's flipping in the other direction. And I got nothing against stretching. It's okay. You want to breathe, you want to stretch. That's fine. But the the, the theories about uh, the manifold ways that we get our way to God and the uncounted divergency of opinion in that matter, I think, has really left us susceptible to a subjugation that is is well, how do I say this a, a philosophical subjugation as a civilization that we're just not going to be able to avoid it when when if I, I mean if, if you just want our sinful flesh to create a religion the thing that it's going to want is a religion where God just doesn't say anything I mean remember in Exodus 19 when they when, yeah. when all the Israelites go to the base of the mountain and then the Lord speaks and he gives the 10 commandments and everybody says hey uh, Moses why don't you go talk to God for us you know this hearing the voice of God is slightly uncomfortable well th- this thing that people's talking about is that same sort of um, sinful tendency to not want to hear God's voice manifest- manifesting itself in the Christian church and what we see now in our own day is that is that inclination coming full force so that people say, I, I'm spiritual but not religious, which is simply another way of saying, I want a God who's mute. I, I, I want a God who doesn't huh. say anything, who just keeps quiet. I want a God who doesn't talk. Uh, uh, because as soon as God talks, there's truth and falsehood. As soon as God talks, there's requirements that are placed upon me. As soon as God talks, there's commands and there's promises. And that has a sway over my own mind, my heart, my conscience, my life. And so if I want to avoid that, then I want to mute God. And yoga is a pretty good way to get that muted God. Pastor Danzer? said earlier, too, you just, you know, the success of mainline Protestantism is, is what we have today. And I think that's perfect. It's, it's, it's when God doesn't speak, when God's no longer, in a sense, worth listening to, or, or we don't want to listen to him anyway. It, it doesn't lead to some kind of other great construction as much as it leads to this weird apathy and this weird not caring at all. And uh, But that's what it'd be like. If uncounted divergencies also means it's not worth really investigating any of those divergencies. Um, that, that's what I think makes our time different than the, the modern times, where it's like, well, there's a lot of religions and a lot of non- religious philosophies, but you could investigate the Alma, and who knows, maybe one of them might be right. In our day, that's just a lot of work, and we're lazy. And also, it's, we kind of know from the beginning, or we have this sense that there's no point in investigating any of them, which, uh, I don't know, maybe that makes an interesting challenge for us. And I don't know if it's just to assert kind of bluntly like people, or to approach it from a different way, but to realize that, um, Nobody's interested in kind of investigating to find out the truth. Yeah, we've moved past fact and information to will and, well, even will over experience. So if my feelings, I mean, isn't that what like battling depression, which I do personally, isn't that kind of what they tell you though? Is it's like, it's just a feeling. And so exercise your willpower over the feeling. And thankfully there's a few scientists out there like, well, maybe there's a little more going on, but we really are mind over matter, right? We're just trying to, to, to be greater than what's around us. And, and this is, brings us to another big name, but this is Nietzsche. This is all Nietzsche telling us that once God is gone is simply the strongest one and might will make right. Uh, just a minute each to close up, guys. 
Yeah, uh, Nietzsche talks about the will to power, but Jesus talks about the will to save. It is the desire of God to save you. And this is the reason why this is so important, is because God does have something to say. In fact, two things to say. And those things are, you're a sinner, but I've, I've carried your sins to the cross. I've suffered them to win for you the gracious uh, gift of eternal life. And now I forgive you your sins. The reason why the voice of God is so important is because the voice of God is the place where we find the kindness of God and where we find eternal life. It makes the job of a Christian and the job of a theologian different, right? That we're not here to, um, in, it's not exactly a scientific or creative endeavor so much as it is a preserving endeavor and a, and a, and a proclaiming endeavor. We want to take uh, the one word of God, which which has been given to us, and continue to say it. Continue to say it in the midst of, yeah, plenty of uncounted divergencies of religious opinions, but knowing that they're just that. They're, they're the old devil's tricks uh, leading us to listen to different words that are always going to be sounding around us. The church has to continue to be the ground and pillar of the truth, as Paul says to Timothy, and to keep saying the truth, even even as the rest of the world wants to take its own opinion. That's Pastor Sean Danzer. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, both those towns up there in North Dakota, where it's summertime at long last. And uh, my friend as well, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, confessing the same faith as Dr. Pieper did and keeping you firm in it here on Cross Defense. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show today. You got it. The very next line in Dr. Pieper is that it is, therefore, the sacred duty of the theological professors of our age to warn students most earnestly against all modern theologians who refuse to recognize Holy Scripture as God's infallible word. I think he's understating it. I think it is the sacred duty of all pastors and Christians everywhere to warn all pastors and Christians everywhere against the folly of Adam living within us, the opinion of the ancient dragon himself that refuses to recognize Holy Scripture as God's infallible word, refuses to let what God has surely said be what God has surely said. And as Pastor Wolfmiller pointed out there at the end as well, the reason right now that that is so imperative is because what God is saying is not, I hate you, I condemn you, you're all going to hell. What he's saying is, I've saved you. I've bought you with a price. You're mine. That's the thing we're in danger of losing when we stop believing that Jonah died as a prophecy of Jesus dying and rising again. He didn't die. What in a fish. You get the point. We'll catch you next time here on Cross Defense. Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news.